Amen. Well, thanks, Dan. We'll pull up a seat, and as you are, let me quick bring you up to speed. If you uh, weren't here last week, we started a brand new series. We're calling that series Staying in Love. Now, most people know the phrase falling in love, and that's easy. We don't need to explain it to you. We don't need to coach you in it. Um, if you just go through life, you are going to find yourself developing crushes here and there. Uh, that's, that's, that's not hard. Um, the staying in love, that's the hard part. And in this fallen world, uh, uh, it's, it's pretty amazing that, um, that, over, that if, when two people have that falling in love experience, their affection towards each other and their commitment to each other, it usually peaks in the first six months. It usually peaks. Their commitment, their affection usually peaks in the, in the first six months. And then after that, after the rocket fuel that we talked about last week, after the rocket fuel runs out, you know, for a lot of people, the feelings start to fade and, and they go down one of two, two, uh, two paths. Either the path towards just becoming roommates, where these two people who are crazy about each other just become roommates. Uh, the other one is worse. They go beyond, um, or go beneath, I should say, being roommates, and they start to develop resentment towards one another. And that's often described as one of life's mysteries, one of the great life's great mysteries, how two people who once couldn't wait to see each other, two people who, who stood up before God and witnesses and enthusiastically and with all their heart, they said, yeah, this is the person that I want to spend the rest of my life with, um, how they could go from that in some cases to, I can't stand this person. This person makes me just... You know, they can't even be in the same room without blowing up all over the place. But it's very, very real. It's very, very real, and it happens It happens all the time. Now, fortunately for us, we've got more than those two outcomes. We've got a, we got a third outcome. You know, maybe more than three, but one, a third outcome that we've been talking about, and that is that idea of a soulmate, that idea of, of somebody that... It's you and them against the world. It's, it's the two of us till death do us part. This, this type of love that goes beyond the rocket fuel of the first six months, this type of love that, that can actually grow over time and it goes beyond just um, feelings, but it goes on to this deep commitment to one another. And 50 years later, as we talked about last week, he's still coming home with flowers. And 50 years later, she's still dressing up because she's excited to go on a date. And 50 years later, they're still holding hands and they're laughing and they're snuggling when they watch a movie. And their kisses are more than, you know, even 50 years later. If that's something you long for, um, here's a great quote. Every once in a while, people send me different quotes and things like that after a message. Last week, someone sent me this quote. This is good. It's by a guy named James Dobson. It says this, if the grass looks greener on the other side, what does he say? Water your own. There's, there's some good stuff there. Now, I put it slightly differently, and, and inside your bulletins, there's a red note page if you want to take that out. Um, here's here's how, how we've been wording it, and I even tweaked it a little bit over last week. And that is this. Falling in love, it, that just takes a pulse. Staying in love, that requires a plan. And there's at least two parts of a plan that's going to be successful. And the first part is this. What's your plan to experience God's trans- transforming love? And then from that place, what's your plan to extend it? Next week, we're going to talk about that second part. What's your plan to extend God's transforming love? Today, we want to talk about what's your plan to experience it? Because that's where it's got to start. If you've got all kinds of unhealthy stuff within you, and you're in a relationship, what's going to come out? Unhealthy stuff. 
And so this is akin, we talked about this last week as well, this is akin to when you're on an airplane and before you take off, they come up and they give their little spiel and they said, if we get into big trouble here and there's no air in the airplane, I didn't even thought about the air in there. Uh, you know, there's no air in the airplane and the little thing falls down from the ceiling, who's, who are you supposed to put it on first? Your, yourself. You put on your own mask first. And that's not being selfish. That's just, that's how you can help. If you're unconscious, you're not going to help anybody, right? And so that's why we, I believe it's important for us to start here, to start in this number one of what's our plan to experience health and wholeness in such a way where we have something to offer. So we'll get that perfectly right, and then we'll move on to number two. No, you have to do the things together. But, but this idea of, of starting there, of, okay, something in me needs to change if I'm going to be in any kind of healthy place to help other people. Well, last week, a lot of review here, but uh, we'll go through it quick. We looked at this, uh, this passage out of John chapter 13, start with verse 34. And this is a commandment that came from Jesus. He said this. He said, a new commandment I give to you, that you should love one another. And we learned last week that didn't mean this was brand new, but here was the new twist Jesus puts on it. He says, just as I have loved you, you also are supposed to love one another. In fact, by this, all people are going to know you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, it would sure be nice if that was easy and natural, wouldn't it? It would sure be nice if we could naturally love as selfish, selflessly as Christ did. Wouldn't it be nice if we could love as sacrificially as Christ did, at least if that came naturally? Wouldn't it be nice if we could love those who didn't deserve our love as, as readily as Christ did? Wouldn't it be nice if we could easily forgive as Christ forgave us? Wouldn't it be nice if we could, if we could always see and remove the log in our own eye before we went after the speck in somebody else's? Wouldn't it be nice if our love was always patient and kind? Wouldn't it be nice if our love was never arrogant or rude and never insisted on its own way? Wouldn't it be nice if our love always believed the best and could endure all things? Wouldn't it be nice if we had a love that just naturally came out of us like that? But that's not reality. That's not reality, not in, not in this fallen world. And, and yeah, it would be great. It would be great if that's what we saw all the time growing up everywhere. Then maybe it would come more naturally. Maybe it would come more naturally if, if in, in our homes and among our friends and among our extended family, maybe it would come more naturally if, if we saw that kind of love being extended all the time. You know, but, but few, if any, people did. Grew up like that. You know, in, in, in a lot of folks' uh, homes growing up, dad, you know, he wasn't at every game. A lot of folks growing up, their mom wasn't always there when you needed her. For a lot of people, your home wasn't filled with hugs and kisses and all that kind of stuff that make the little ones go, Mom, Dad, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe there was a lot of slamming doors and a lot of yelling and a lot of things. And, and it wasn't just at home. You know, if, if you've survived school, um, you, you, you came out probably with a lot of painful memories of things that people did to you and things that people said to you that you can still remember even years and years and years later that still hurt. Things that they shouldn't have said, things they shouldn't have done. And maybe some of you, as you grew older and you got into relationships, boy, those early ones, you got burned. Maybe you were on the burning end of some things too. You know, the, the reality is almost none of us come in 
to new relationships without that kind of baggage. No, really nobody comes into relationships where that's all they've seen, just the love of Christ being poured into them, and they've seen it being poured into others, and that, and that was their, their, their baseline. Quite the contrary is true. We come into relationships really dinged up, don't we? We come into relationships really, really dinged up. And if it weren't, if the baggage alone wasn't enough, we also come into relationships, and this is true not just in marriage, but in general, we come into relationships, and it's not long before we realize that person doesn't see things the way I do all the time. Right? Uh, Many years ago, Jeff House uh, put together a video. Uh, I want to show it to you. Uh, This is a video that we asked him to create to illustrate the fact that some people see things differently. This is Mr. and Mrs. Pac-Man going to the mall. And they, they have the same goal, get a pair of jeans, but the, the path looks a little different. Do you want to fire that, fire that video? So there they are, starting out together. Mr. Pac-Man finds the store, gets the jeans. Mr. Pac-Man's still going. He's done. <laughs> there it is. Huh? Now, if we went to Cabela's, it might look totally different. Um, and maybe in your house, this is reversed. Maybe, you know, maybe there, the woman, is she knows what she's going after, and the guys want... You know, my point is not this is how every family is, except that we're different. We're different. So you take these two things, and you try to put this together, the fact that we come in all dinged up and deficient, and we come in each with our own way of seeing things, and this is a recipe for conflict, isn't it? It is just an absolute recipe for conflict. And one of the best ways I saw this illustrated, actually I heard it the first time, um, many churches have, have borrowed this from uh, North Point Church, um, and, and there's a guy named Andy Stanley, and he introduced two characters at his church, Mr. and Mrs. Mug. Let me introduce them to you. Um, this is Mr. Mug right here, and over here we've got Mrs. Mug. Now, Mr. and Mrs. Mug, they didn't start out as Mr. and Mrs. Mug. They start out as many couples do. They were at a crowded A&W, and <laughs> across the room their eyes met, and Mr. Mug thought, that is one cool drink of water right there. <laughs> Go country. <laughs> and then... And then she looked across the crowded room and she said, oh, I just can't resist a glass with a stash. And, and so there was this, this power that brought them together. And, and early on in the relationship, they were so careful with one another because they didn't want to ruin this good thing. And, and they were so excited just to be together. So they were really gentle. And, and, and he would even find himself saying things that normally he would never say with his buddies like, I just love romantic comedies. Of, of course, I want to go with you. And and she would find herself saying things like this. It's so wonderful when we get lost because you didn't ask for directions. Because then we can spend more time together. And so, so early on, they're really gentle and really understanding. And, and, and things are going so well that they end up going down the altar together. And they face each other. And, and they said, this is it. I'm, I'm committing to you. Out of all the people in the world, I'm committing to you for life. And then they get married. And, and they start hitting some bumps. And, and, and one day the bumps kind of hit together and, and all of a sudden stuff comes out. And, and, and he looks at her and goes, what just happened? And she looks at him and goes, what just happened? And, and she looks at him and she says, 
I didn't know you had anger issues. And, and he looks at her and says, I didn't have them until I met you. And, 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 and they're having all these problems. And, and they're going down the road and more bumps happen. And whoa! I, I didn't mean... <laughs> wow! That was, that was an explosion. And, and they're surprised. And at least I didn't break the mugs, right? And, and so after that last one, he's, she says, I'm going to my sister's house. And she goes over there and she's telling the sister, you wouldn't believe. I, I just didn't know. I didn't know this about him. I didn't know he was such a jerk. I didn't know. And he goes off to his, his, his by himself because he's a guy. And, <laughs> and he grabs a bucket of balls and he just starts crushing those golf balls and saying, she makes me so so very, 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 very mad. And he's convinced that it's her fault. And she's convinced that it's his fault. And he's convinced if she would just dot, 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 dot. And she's convinced if he would just dot, 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 then we wouldn't have these problems. We wouldn't have beads all over the place. And, and he's thinking, she makes me feel that way. And she's thinking, he makes me feel that way. And unless they have a great counselor or they listen to the same podcast I did, um, <laughs> what they would have missed is this. And this is, this is profound. Even though it sounds very simplistic, this is profound. What comes out is what's in there to begin with. Did you hear that? What comes out was there to begin with. And the blue beads came out of Mr. Mug because there were blue beads in there to start with. And the pink beads came out of Mrs. Mug not because he made them come out, but because they were there to begin with. Now, of all the relationships on the planet, marriage will bring stuff out. And we could spend a month, in fact, we should go ask for a nice big research grant, you know, as to why that is. Why is it that, that a committed romantic relationship, like no other relationship, can bring out deep insecurities that are so deep that we didn't even know they were insecurities? But when we exploded, it's because of a deep insecurity. And, and, and why is it that, that these deep romantic relationships, they can bring out fears that we don't even know are fears? And we think we're mad because he's coming home late, and really what's going on is we're afraid that he's walking away. You know, and all these kind of things can happen that are that are deep, 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 deep. And and as these things happen, as stuff comes to the surface, what do we do with that? What do we do with it? Well, let's look to the scriptures and see see what the word of God says. Now, here's a passage that we looked at last week, but I want to add something that we didn't talk about last week as we go through it. This is out of Matthew chapter 19. And if you want to turn there, you can in your Bibles. Um, if you don't have a Bible at home, we would love to send you home with one free today. We have a copy of them right over there at the welcome table. Just please take one. Um, now, I edited this. Usually, I just read straight out of the Bible, but we have little ears here, so I did some editing. There's a lot of grown-up words in the Bible, which you come across if you ever try to straight-up read it to your kids. Um, what is that, Dad? Oh, boy. All right, um, go ask your mom. And so um, here's, here's, here's an edited version of Matthew 19. And the Pharisees came to Jesus, and they tested him by asking, Is it lawful to leave one's wife for any cause? And Jesus answered, Have you not read? 
He who created them from the beginning, he made them male and female, and he said, therefore a man should leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two should become one flesh. They're no longer two, but one flesh. What God has joined together, let no one, let no one separate. Now, here's what we didn't talk about last week, although I believe we talked about this a little bit before. At the time of, of this, when this was happening, there were two major camps, two major ways of understanding and interpreting a passage in the Bible. A passage you can find in the book of Deuteronomy, fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. And, and these two different religious groups, they looked at it and they saw it very different. And one group who followed a, a certain rabbi named Hillel, they believed if you were a man and you're in a relationship and you start seeing beads coming out and you don't like how that feels, then you just walk away. If you're in a relationship and it doesn't really matter what happened, if you're feeling this way, you can just go. Go find, find somebody else. There's another group at the time who sided with a different rabbi named Shammai, and they looked at that passage and they said, no, 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 that's not what it's saying. That passage is saying you stick it out except in the most extreme of circumstances. So there was this big argument going on in that day about Deuteronomy 24.1. Well, Jesus, as he's they're trying to pull him into this trap. Jesus says, let's, let's not talk about Deuteronomy 24.1. Let's go back to the beginning. And actually, what is happening right here in Matthew, Jesus is just quoting Scripture. He's quoting the first book of the Bible. The book of, anyone know what the first book of the Bible is? Genesis. He takes them all the way back to the beginning. He says, let's not focus on this passage when their hearts were hard. Let's go back to what God intended from the beginning. And as he does that, look at you start to see the pushback that, that he gets from the people. So let's continue reading this passage. As the passage continues on, Matthew 19, starting verse 7, they said to Jesus, well, why then did Moses say it was okay to leave? Jesus said to them, because your hearts were hard. In the beginning, it was not so. And then look at the disciples. They say to Jesus, well, pfft. If that's the case, if the beads are flying and we can't just get out of there, it's better not to marry. So you can see, even back then, there was this idea that was deeply embedded in people, especially in guys, that when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And not working harder to make things better, but just looking, looking elsewhere. Well, Jesus, you know, when they push back, he holds his ground and he gives them a better vision. A better vision than just blaming someone else or finding someone else. Jesus, in fact, points out they don't understand marriage at all. And as Jesus quotes Genesis chapter 2, that you know a, a, a reader would hopefully go back to Genesis 2. And if they did, they'd find something like this. This is out of that same chapter that Jesus was quoting from, Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. This is something we talk about with every married couple as they come through now um, and prepare for their marriage. This, this, this passage, Genesis 2, 18. Then the Lord said... It is not good. He's talking about Adam, the first man. It is not good for him to be alone. I'm going to make a helper fit for him. Now, the Bi in different Bibles, they're going to translate this Hebrew word, ezer, differently because there's no word in English that translates perfectly. What it communicates is not, ooh, Adam is this and I'm created to serve him. Look at this. Ezer is one who supplies strength in the area that is lacking Is that a beautiful vision or what? That was God's intent. His intent for marriage was that you have this other person who 
when you're weak, they're strong. When you're strong, maybe you're needed because they're weak. Where, where you come along and in the areas where you're weak, you're supplying strength. Supplying strength for each other. Now what's interesting, if you continue to read, if you were to read in Hebrew, you'd come across Ezra another time. And in Hosea, when it's being used, the word Ezra is being used for God. Look at this. And look at the context. It says, He destroys you, O Israel, for you're against me, your Ezer. And what's so tragic is how often we turn on the one who wants to help us the most. It happens with to parents, you know? They're reaching out, they're trying to help their kid, and their kid is just turns on them. It happens with God, doesn't it? God doesn't meet our expectations. God doesn't do what we thought he should do. He doesn't answer our prayer the way we wanted to answer it. And we start blaming God. And certainly in marriage, we see it all the time too. Expectations aren't met. We think they should. We think they should. They don't. And and, and often they'll turn on each other instead of being a one who supplies strength in the area, lacking in the help. And if we let our hearts get hard, if we give in to that age-old temptation to blame others, you know, it's going to destroy us too. We, we see it right from the beginning. When, when Adam and Eve were confronted with the first sin, who did Adam blame right away? Blamed Eve. Did Eve say, yeah, it was our fault? No, she blamed the snake. And, and we do that. It's just natural. And if that comes out, if you just find yourself blaming, know that it's natural. Know that that's how most of the world operates. But also know that that's not your only option to act naturally. When Ezra turns against Ezra, there's no hope unless one turns to God. At least one turns to God for help. And imagine that. Imagine, in fact, imagine a marriage where both turn towards each other and both turned to God. Because now you've got a whole different situation here. The beads go off, and imagine if, if one could stop and go, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Obviously, this is not about the socks on the floor here. Obviously, there's something else going on, something much bigger than that. And, 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 and on this side, okay, yep, you know what, you're right. There's, there's something going on here. And what if instead of just blaming and focusing on, as we're taught, Focusing just on the action, there's some helpfulness there, but, but imagine if we went deeper than that and we started to address the deeper things going on. Why are you feeling so angry? Why is that bringing out such frustration? What's going on? And imagine if they could work together towards solutions, towards health, rather than just blaming each other and going their separate ways. And then certainly turning to God for help too. We live in an age where we have unprecedented access to God. And we grew up in it, so many of us, we just take it for granted. But listen to, to these words. These are The Old Testament spoke of a day that has come, and they, a day that they can only look to. This is out of the book of Ezekiel. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to that. Ezekiel chapter 36. I don't think we have to edit this one. I think we had to edit the others. Ezekiel uh, chapter 36 starting with verse 25. It says, says this, I was, and this is, this is God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel, and he's speaking of a day that is going to come, a day that has not yet come, but will come. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will move the heart of stone from your flesh, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. 
And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now today, if, um, if you follow what's called the church calendar, today is a, a special day on the church calendar. It's known as, does anyone know? Pentecost. It's a, a day where we commemorate that there was a day shortly after Jesus' death and resurrection where the Holy Spirit came on the people of God in an unprecedented way. Instead of what we used to see in the Old Testament where it would come upon one person for one task, in this case, the Holy Spirit was just poured out upon this group of people and from there began to be poured out all over the place. And this new, this Spirit of God is also in different places used ex- interchangeably with the phrase, the Spirit of Christ. So this Spirit can come in us and it changes our hearts and it can change our minds and it can change us from within so that when we collide with others, it's Christ-like qualities that begin to spill out rather than unchristlike qualities. That's why we have this choice before us, and I, I encourage you to write this down in your notes. We don't just have to do what comes natural. We don't. As God's people, we don't have to just do what comes natural. We don't have to just, I feel this way, so I'm going to act a certain way. We can seek God's supernatural transformation of our hearts and our minds. Let me say that again. We can choose to embrace what comes naturally, or we can seek God's supernatural transformation of our hearts and minds. If you're married, or if you have a roommate, or if you live with family members, have I covered everybody yet? Okay, if you're around people, you're going to bump. You're going to bump each other. You're going to bump each other, and stuff is going to come out. It's going to come out. And today is a, a, a day where we can commemorate that you don't have to, you don't have to always have the same stuff coming out. Sarcasm doesn't always have to come out. Threats doesn't always have to come out. Anger doesn't always have to come out. The Spirit of God can replace these things. In fact, the Scripture says the fruit of the Spirit are things like joy and peace, self-control and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness. And imagine, imagine a life like that. Imagine a life where you could go through and things happen and, and you're not overlooking that, them and you're not Pollyannaing them, but you're, you're honest and, and everything... But imagine being so centered in Christ that what comes out is self-control and gentleness and peace and joy. Imagine that. And then imagine that, what a family could be like if God were to do that. That's what the Spirit of Christ can do in us when we embrace the selfless, sacrificial, unmerited grace that God extends. And that's what the Spirit of Christ can do through us, through us, when we extend selfless, sacrificial, and unmerited grace to others. Will it always work? No. Christ didn't convince everybody that his way was right. But it's your best and arguably your only shot. And not only that, there's an opportunity here. You know, at many different times I've referenced a couple that Laura and I used to meet with, Bob and Kathy Morgan. And, and I remember one time very specifically we were sitting on, on, uh, in our living room and we're talking and, and Bob looks at us and he just says, you know, marriage has this great opportunity to make you more Christ-like. Because in a marriage, it's like a mirror. You begin to see selfishness. If you're going to look honestly into that mirror, you're going to see selfishness that you otherwise wouldn't see. And you're going to see all kinds of things. And you have this opportunity, when you see that in a mirror, to not just run away and not point fingers, but to go, okay, I'm going I'm to own this, and God, I need your help. And I'm going to need the help of your people so that we can overcome this. 
that, that, that we see. So there's this opportunity here to have that stuff replaced. God wants to give you that new heart. He wants to do something supernatural in, in you. And that's why if, if you're married and both of you want to do this, both of you commit and say, okay, we are going to, we want God to make some changes. If both of you are committed to that, given enough time, I can guarantee there'll be changes, good ones. And I can guarantee that because God wants Ezra's to Ezra each other. And with God, all things are possible. And, and if you pray according to God's will, it's going to be done. So, so if you're obedient to what he would have you to do and both in the relationship are willing to do that, it's going to get hard before it gets better. But, but we can guarantee, we can hold on to that promise that God can fix this. The challenge is usually it's not both. It's, it's maybe one when things are tough. But with one person, it's possible. There can be change. If one person is willing to receive and then extend that transforming love of God. And why do I say that? I say that because there's two billion people right now in the world who profess to be Christians. How do they become Christians? Is it because Jesus had a military army where he took over and he said, you will become a follower of mine or you will die now? No. Is it because Jesus established when he was on earth all these seminaries and these no. It's because he changed hearts, one heart at a time, through sacrificial love extended towards other people. Love that even led him to the cross. And if that worked on two billion people, there's a chance it can work one-on-one. If, if one person, even in the relationship, is willing to say, okay, God, change me, change me. Next week when we get together, we're going to dig deep into a, a chapter of Romans, chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. I'm really excited to dig in deep. I want to give you this little teaser ahead of time. This is one piece of one verse of Romans 12. But boy, is this is good, isn't it? It's hard, but it's good. It says, so far as it depends on whom? On you. So far as it depends on you. And, and, and that's where I want to... That's, that's, that's the invitation I want to give you today. As far as it depends on you, will you seek God's transforming love to be present in your life? Will you say, okay, God, when it comes to just my relationship with you, I'm going to put it first. And I'm going to ask that you're going to change me and that you're going to start to give me this Holy Spirit. And, and Lord, you're going you're gonna to teach me and you're going to help me to, to follow in your ways that I may become more like you. Are you willing to do that? And specifically with relationships, are you willing to say, okay, if, if they won't come with me to counseling, I'll go. And I'll try to get healthier and I'll start to be able to go, all right, at least I know more what's going on in here, in myself. You know, that, they're going to have to come to that point themselves, but at least I'm going to get healthier and I'm not going to make things worse. And, and I have a list of great books on the back of your notes. And I would encourage you um, to, to read one of them. Look at the one that you think might be the most helpful. And even if you won't read it together, you read it and start to, to learn some God-honoring principles that can make things better. And, and if your spouse won't come with you to a group, then find one that you can go to yourself that you're getting support and encouragement and all those types of things as much as it depends on you. One of the, one of the great things about God is he, he won't hold you accountable for stuff that's not your stuff. You can't change another person's heart. In fact, God himself refuses in most cases to do that himself. 
He will, he will let people, if, if they'll yield their hearts, he'll allow it to be changed. But, 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 but God himself doesn't, doesn't, um, doesn't just come in, step in, and, and, and change a heart against their, their will. But as far as it depends on you, will you commit to becoming the spouse you wish you had? Let me say that again. As much as it depends on you, will you commit to becoming the spouse you wish you had? And you'll find that maybe over time, you'll see those changes that you'd hope to see. Well, let me ask the worship band to come up, and, and they're going to close us with a song. And, and I really appreciate that, that Dan chose this one. Um, the temptation a lot of times when you want to make a change is, at least for me, I'm more of a direct deal with it kind of guy. And, and so there's often this change. Okay, I want to make this change. I'm going to go up there. I'm going to do it. And so there's maybe a temptation to pick a song that's kind of anthemy and like, okay, here we go. We're going to go. And, and I love the fact that we're closing with this song that is more of a song of just surrender because that's where strength starts. And that's also the good news of the gospel that, that we have a savior. We don't have to save ourselves just by trying harder. But instead, the strength starts with surrender. And this is a song where we do that, where we just say, God, I'm, I'm going to lay aside, I'm going to lay down all this anxiety, and, and Father, I'm just going to surrender myself to you, and I'm going to ask that you'll teach me your ways and, and change my heart and mind. So as we close this service today, would you join me in, in doing this and just surrendering ourselves and saying, God, would you have your way in us? Let's pray. Father, um, we pray that this would happen right now, that you would make this time real to us. And Wherever we're at, whether we're seeing things as hopeless, whether we see hope, whether things are great, um, Lord, I pray, whether we're not married, whether we are, whether we have people that we want to try to help, whatever the case may be, Lord, I pray that you'll help us all right now in this moment to surrender ourselves to you, that we may be safe, that our hearts may begin to change, we may become more like you and be able to extend your love from a healthier place in Jesus' name. Two quick thoughts before we go our separate ways here. Um, one is, in the summer, there's a temptation to just do the summer slide. Don't do that with your faith. You know, this isn't the only issue where you need to remain anchored. You know, and, and taking moments like we just had here where you're just getting back centered on what matters most. So remember that as your summer goes on. And secondly, um, I had this picture in my head during the last service when we were singing the song, and that was a picture of a dandelion. And those of you who know me, you know I hate them. They are, they are evil. They are products of the fall. They are just, they're bad. And, and here's, here's the thing. With, with, with a dandelion, there's a temptation, you know, sometimes just to mow over the thing, you know. But when you mow over it, it, it just comes back. And for those of you who really want to make progress in this area of your life, recognize right now that if you're going to go after the root, it's going to get worse before it gets better. So just be prepared for that and know that as the pain gets more intense, recognize that's part of the process if you really want to go at the root. All right? So just for what it's worth. Let me pray a blessing as we go forth. Lord, I thank you that you've already blessed us. You've given us so many blessings. You've given us your word. You've given us um, each other. You've given us great songs. You've given us amazing books, great counselors. You, Lord, you've already blessed us. And above all, you've sent your spirit, which is accessible to all those who would ask and would open themselves up and not resist your work. So, Lord, thank you for already blessing us. And now, Lord, we pray that you would enable our, our resistant hearts and minds to open up. Lord, we're scared. A lot of us are scared of laying down our rights and, and laying down our... Our, um, 
things that we feel justified in doing. And, and Lord, I pray for those folks who right now that really resonated with. Lord, I pray that, um, that you'll help them to trust you. They don't have to trust the other person right now. They just need to trust you. And Lord, I pray that, you're, that you would meet them in the gentleness of this song, Lord, and, and that you would begin that work of bringing them to a place of quiet confidence in you. Quiet confidence that begins to change them from the inside out. And for all of us, Lord, we pray for a blessed uh, remainder of this weekend. We pray that it would be filled with great memories. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week.